Welcome back, Aspire leaders, and happy Saturday. I am back in Colorado after having an incredible time in Cleveland, Ohio with Jeff Gargas and Chad Ostrowski of the Teach Better team, and we were presenting at the Summit Leadership Symposium. It was such a wonderful event, and it was absolutely amazing to see several admin mastermind participants in my session as I was speaking on enhancing leadership capacity. But it's great to be home, as you may hear in the background, just a rolling thunderstorm (laughs) coming through. But I want to talk about some exciting news. We have hit a few milestones, 250 episodes. This is the 250th of Aspire to Lead, and just an incredible number. And also looking at numbers, in the last four years, this podcast has gotten over 200,000 listens. And that is all due to this wonderful community and listenership. So I want to say thank you for supporting the podcast. It's just been incredible to see how folks have connected with the amazing leaders that have been on the show and just sharing through word of mouth and also supporting through purchasing the Spider Lead book or maybe supporting a sponsor that's on the podcast or sending a rating and review to your favorite podcast player. Whatever you're doing, I appreciate it. And I just ask that you continue to support in any way possible as we continue with the show. Today, I have the wonderful opportunity to speak with an Olympian, a gold medalist, Steve Messler, who is the co-founder and CEO of a wonderful organization called Classroom Champions. But in addition to that, he's a three-time Olympian, and like I said, an Olympic gold medalist and a four-man bobsled team. So we're going to talk about that, but then also about leadership as he builds into leaders all over the country and with Classroom Champions and how they are working with schools on social emotional learning. Welcome back everyone to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Steve, it is just such a pleasure and honor to have you on Aspire to Lead. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, you are extremely accomplished. If my audience doesn't know, you actually led a team to the first gold medal in a four-man bobsled team. And I I can't wait to talk about that and and just learn from your journey. But for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about your background and all the amazing things that you're doing in your life and through education. Yeah, thanks for being here. And again, as the son of teachers and as somebody who was a teacher and who's whose sister is a teacher and an education researcher. I love being able to to talk with educators and and, and be around them. And, um, you know, if there's anything that I can do that helps leaders be better at the work they do for kids, for their teachers, uh, you know, I'm I'm all about it. I mean, leadership is, as we've seen in the world over the last five to 10 years, leadership matters in all parts of our lives. So, yeah, I, you know, I've had the absolute privilege to, to lead a really interesting life. Like you said, like you mentioned there casually, uh, I used to slide down mountains and wear tights for a living. I became the best in the world at running for five seconds and sitting for a minute as a bobsledder on the on Team USA and went to three Olympics and won a gold medal at the Olympic Games in 2010 for the first time in 62 years for our country, which was just incredible. All the experience that you would you know you would think it would be in all the you know the lifelong and lifetime dreams and kid dreams that I ever had came to fruition there, and you know even more so. I really wanted to make sure that that wasn't something that in June of uh, June of 2010, right after I won my gold medal, my best friends growing up had said to me, he's like, what's it like to have written the first line of your obituary at age 31? 
And it hit me. I was like, well, I don't want to. So what can I go do? So Classroom Champions was already something we started when I was an athlete. So I'm the president and CEO and co-founder of Classroom Champions, an international education organization focusing in North America currently on in the social emotional learning sphere. Well, we were doing it before it was officially called SEL. Um, and we'll be doing it after it officially is called SEL whenever we move into another round of, of what we call it. Um, I've also had the privilege of representing athletes on Team USA, uh, United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee's Board of Directors through a pretty interesting last eight years. I just rolled off of that and termed off the board in December of 2022. So um, I was a leadership development consultant in the corporate world for for a handful of years as well. And I do a fair amount of speaking and and writing. So I, you know, I, and most importantly, I'm the dad to like a really, really awesome little girl that turns six today. Um, and, uh, and a little boy, it's a year and a half. So I'm on the older side of a parent, but it, you know, they're going to keep me young. <laughs> For sure. As a parent of six, I definitely know what that means. And mm, more power to you. you. Well, thank you, sir. And I wish your daughter a happy birthday. That's awesome. Thank you. So I want to talk about the, the athlete component. I, you know, grew up in athletics. I, I mean, nowhere near the level of you, but I got my first like taste of leadership in that sports environment. I'm curious, like for you growing up, was it something similar? Like for myself, I didn't think of myself a leader until I got a leadership position in uh, soccer for myself. You know, for you, when did you start feeling like you had something to give in the leadership realm? It happened pretty young for me. You know, I was the only freshman on our varsity soccer team in high school. Um, that was, you know, one of the top few in the state. I was captain of the team. Um, you know, by the time I graduated and and you know was always the leader of my group of my training groups and and very quickly within USA bobsled became a leader of our teams there. So I, I think for me it it happened young. And I got to have people around me who got to foster see that. You know, if you see that in a, a kid, you, you tend to foster that that leadership skill. And I was really, really fortunate to have amazing people, both both on the athlete and sport side, but as well as, you know, outside of sport as well. I want to talk about the bobsled. I'm just curious. This has nothing probably to do with yeah. leadership in our conversation. But I do <laughs> want to talk about classroom champions. How did you get into bobsledding? I know you talked about soccer earlier in your you know athletic career, but that's not a typical sport for people to go into. So where did that come from it, that you wanted to, to dive into that you know area of expertise? It is definitely not one of those normal places, at least not in the U.S. It's not. For me, it came from a guy named Jerry Clayton. He was a track coach of mine. He was the guy who actually recruited me to the University of Florida, where I where I ran track uh, in college. And he had a guy named Rob Olson who happened to make the 1998 Olympic team while I was at Florida with Jerry. And he compared us as athletes, and I laughed it off at the time. And he went from track to bobsled. Rob did, and was an amazing athlete. And you know, coach compared me to him. I didn't think of it again until a few years later. I was sitting on my couch in Gainesville, about two days out of Tommy John. Elbow surgery, the same, you know, owner collateral ligament elbow surgery that a pitcher will have. I got mine from throwing javelin. I was a decathlete there. You know, I was sitting on that couch two days out of surgery, looking back at my career that was a national champion in high school and and then an utter failure at University of Florida for four years, hurt every single year, and even got hurt my senior year of high school. And I just thought, like, I don't I don't want to think I peaked when I was 17. Much like that, I don't want to think I wrote my first line of our obituary at 31. My mindset has always been, I want my and those around me best years to always be in front, always be in front. I know too many athletes that think their lives will never be as good as it was when they were competing. And I, I share with them all the time. No, I mean, it's life is what you make of it. You, know, you can find, find the challenges. If that's the 
you know, for me, the positives in my lives are quite often the challenges that I get to try to conquer. So that's how I got into bobsled as I, I was too stubborn to give up and, uh, you know, emailed the Olympic committee, you know, back in 2000 blows kids' minds. When I tell them there wasn't a Google, I had to find the email, you know, United States Olympic committee email. There was no contact forms back then. Like it literally had to find the info at address someplace on the site and email the Olympic committee. I said, I'm this big, this strong, this fast. Got an email back from Greg Sand at USA Bobsled the next day. And I started training from there. Was it the Yellow Pages phone book? You're just paging? Basically, basically, <laughs> right? It was the 2000 version of the internet, the Yellow Pages. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. I want to talk about the uh, wonderful organization that you've constructed and, and built from the ground up, which is Classroom Champions. And I learned about your organization a while ago from Todd Nisloni. I, I've been a part of your newsletter mm, for quite some awesome. time. Love Todd. Yeah, Todd's amazing. Uh, first guest of my Aspire League podcast. Really? Oh, man. Great friend of the podcast. I get to follow in Todd's footsteps. That's awesome. <laughs> so I just, you know, for, for those who may not know about all the wonderful things that you do, you talked about the social emotional learning aspect. Obviously, you know, you're connected with amazing athletes that are, are supporting and helping children all over the country. So if you wouldn't mind, will you just share, you know, what Classroom Champions is about and why did you construct it in the first place? What's it about? I, I actually like I like the question of what's costume champions about rather than what is costume champions, because it it, it gets to more of the root of it, the, the, you know, the, the heart of it, which is costume champions is about helping people, you know, namely students, but also teachers and others get better, you know, find their better. We do that through curriculum, our version of SEL. I, I think that's a big difference from what maybe is a lot of the versions of, of social emotional learning that's out there. Costume champions version is a bit different. You know, our version of SEL is really focused around the athlete and an athlete mindset, which you know is an achievement mindset, a growth mindset, a success mindset, a stress enhancing mindset. And it's really an approach that we and a framework that we that we teach that ultimately is based upon helping students and teachers understand that there are a ubiquitous set of skills that successful people have, whether you are the best teacher, the best architect, the best CEO. Uh, the best superintendent or the best bobsledder. You have this set of skills and it is not about traits. Uh, it always bothers me when I see other SCL organizations or others talk about traits. It's really hard for a child to, to wrap their head around what a trait is and how well that child or that person has that trait. Uh, I don't, therefore I can't have it. Um, these things are skills. These are the things that, and honestly, these are also the things that I hire for and and leaders in in my field and other fields that I work with all the time for um, you know other parts of my life too that they hire for they are uh, and that's what classroom Champions is about <laughs> what is it it is a nonprofit organization that provides schools with curriculum and with um, you know mentorship virtual mentorship programs that matches you know classrooms and schools with currently competing you know, Team USA Olympians, Paralympians, national team athletes, and, and pro and NCAA athletes as well, in order to role model and teach these skills of setting and achieving goals and managing emotions and perseverance and teamwork with, with the desired outcome of improved grades, attendance, behavior. And also, and we see that in our data as well as improved relatively on the newer side is really actually understanding improved mental health um, and thinking about mental health from a proactive standpoint. Our, our curriculum is does have trauma-informed um, practice in it, but ultimately we look at it from a proactive standpoint is all the research um, and data, you know, looks at one of the things that we really like that we looked at is um, there's an 18 year, you know, longitudinal study that shows people that are high in goal persistence, 
perseverance and positive reaffirmation. So the ability to take a negative thing in your life and make it a positive, those three traits, guess what? Lower anxiety and depression. So let's teach our kids those skills early ahead upstream before that becomes an issue. And, and, you know, that's what we've been doing since 2010. And we really found our groove over the last few years. Yes. And I want to know, you know, obviously the pandemic has shown a light. It's nothing new. These are things that have been going on for quite some time, as you said, where, you know, students need these, these skills to be successful. And so if there's a administrator, a, a superintendent or someone that's listening right now that are wanting to get this implemented into their campuses, you know, what are some of the services you provide to help students in these uh, SEL components? Yeah, no, it's a, that's the, the right question. So we have a few different programs in the way that we do it. I mean, we ultimately, each of our programs are our wraparound services. So it's a 32 week long curriculum spiraled, you know, K2, 3, 5, 6, 8, that provides a, like a, a bedrock curriculum, because ultimately I think the and we see this as athletes too. Hey, you're an Olympian. Go be a role model. What does that mean? <laughs> and, and, you know, that was one of the early things that we wanted to solve is like the, the classic school visit was you have somebody who's successful. It's been happening for hundreds of generations. Somebody who's successful goes to visit children someplace, talks to them and then leaves and never sees them again and says, if one or two kids listen, it's worth my time. School districts do it. Schools do it all the time with athletes. Fantastic. Except for what, what do we really, there's nothing else in many of our lives, especially as leaders that we do that has a risk reward of, well, you know, I'm going to do this whole thing. And if one or two kids listen, it's worth our time. No, stop that. Stop that. It's not about if I, if I could just affect one kid. No, it ha- it can't be about if I can just affect one kid. It has to be about if I can affect the absolute most amount of human beings I possibly can. We do this as leaders every day. And that's where the ethos of classroom champions came from is let's let's suck out the nectar of the goodness of that visit, of that one-off, the things these people have to offer. But let's build a relationship with these kids. And we've been doing it virtually because we're we're dealing with currently competing athletes. They're traveling the world, they're busy. You can't, you know, you can't possibly, we all know mentorship programs live and die by just the volunteers' ability to get there. So let's remove that barrier by using technology. Oh, by the way, let's, let's let's make a lot of it asynchronous so the teachers have a lot more flexibility in their time period. So within the curriculums and the things that to get back to the root of that was a, a you know a circular way to get back to your question of what do we offer? And ultimately we offer professional development and support for teachers and administrators. We offer a year-long curriculum that you know builds over time that provides new vocabulary and skills in, in a social emotional development framework that we you know expect to see improvements in academics as well. We offer that in a, in a sport lens without teaching sports. So we offer something that is politically neutral. When we think about the things that happen in society in the last five or 10 years in American you know, culture, nothing has snapped back after being politicized other than sports. And, you know, so when we talk to superintendents and they're, they're wanting to do something new because they're tired of second step or they're tired of, you know, the things that they've been using leader and me that they've been using for years, but they're doing it because they need to check a box and they're not seeing outcomes, but they're also a little bit, you know, a little bit afraid as a leader to, to do something that's look, you know, one of my board members is the classroom champions has said, and they're right, which is no one ever got fired for bringing Deloitte in to do the, to do the project, even if Deloitte messed it up because it was Deloitte. You didn't make the wrong choice. They just messed up. 
And we understand that. So we offer an alternative to those programs that have been around for a long time that, that, you know, I'm not a big fan of that, you know, offer something that is politically neutral. So you can stay out of the weeds and stay out of the, <laughs> the challenges and, and sport offers that. So we do that mentorship programs, curricular programs. Such a powerful program. I, I want all my listeners to check it out. Classroom champions. You guys are just affecting you. such positive change. Um, Thank you. Throughout schools. And so hundreds of athletes, you know, honestly, on the backs of hundreds of athletes yes. who, who want to be matched. We have, we have a giant wait list of athletes who want to be matched. And, you know, that's the amazing part. We've got even the curricular program that's not part of the mentorship program where we match them for the year. The curriculum program has hundreds of amazing people, diverse people in there, you know, from ability to disability to Olympic champions to people who are, you know, still scrapping their way up, up the mountain. And it's just an incredible group. And to surround kids with those kinds of people and to think about, you know, my six-year-old and I think about the people who are, she's going to come across on whatever social media platforms there are, whenever she's getting on those things, we have the ability to put really, really good people in front of kids where, you know, they have to be, um, you know, based upon law, uh, we get all the, as many kids as we can there. And I think that's the one thing about hedging our bets on having kids participate in sports of which clearly I'm a big advocate for is we want kids to be able to take away what we want them to take away, which we hedge our bet when we put a kid in sports, hopefully they will get the experience to learn the lesson, being able to filter all that and put it a little titrate and, and drop it into the curriculum, into the, you know, a daily weekly practices and monthly practices for teachers to facilitate helps not only helps the students, but it helps the teachers ultimately too. We see that a lot as well. Well, and it goes to your point, you were talking about, you know, Olympic athletes being in a role model position just naturally, but they don't get taught those skills to be the role model. And, yeah. you know, for our teachers too, you know, with social emotional learning specifically, a lot of times we just assume that they have the skills and maybe we do buy a curriculum or something like that and we put it in front of them, but we don't help them along. And I, I love what you're doing where you're side by side with them in that journey to support the student instead of just dropping it off and saying good luck. Yeah. It, no, I mean, uh, thank you. I mean, it's been, I think the thing that I've really, both in my corporate days as, and then since got, you know, classroom champions over the last eight to 10 years is the takeaway here for me is whether, again, whether, you know, talking to the leaders that are listening in on this or not is like, we've got to figure out how, and, and I think we're doing a good job. I think there's some, some other districts and places in the country and programs that are helping do that are doing a good job as well, but we've got to figure out how to help this generation understand that they are responsible for themselves in a lot of ways. And whether you're a leader that as a leader, we all know that the personal accountability and our need for ourselves to be ready at all times. Look, if you're a principal or a superintendent or, or a teacher for that matter, but you know, when you're talking about people who have who have decision-making authority of something that affects, you know, thousands of kids' lives, you got to be ready every day, every day. You have to show up feeling as good as you can, having your mind ready. We don't have the luxury to have too many days where we're not ready to perform because like anything can happen. Something can happen today, right now. And I have to be able to make a proper decision. And if my mind's not clear, I'm not making the right decision. And that affects the future of these kids. It affects their safety, all those kinds of things. We need to back that up and start way earlier than leadership development training when you're 35 years old. 
Th these are skill sets that we can, in fact, teach that starts earlier. And ultimately, you know, we're talking about, yes, more positive mental health outcomes, but learning to read is a goal. Getting an A in the math test is a goal. Underneath that is persevering through getting things wrong. And, you know, I mean, we've all seen the data that's come out recently where we're spending more on math and reading and our scores are going down. Well, look, if I want to run a fast 5K, and this coming from the bobsledder who, mind you, <laughs> my job, my body is built to go five seconds, run for five seconds, and then just take a seat sure. and slide down. But if I want to run a 5K, I'm not just going to go run 5Ks every day. For those runners out there, the analogy fits. Like you have to do speed work. You have to do core work. You have to lift weights. You have to do long runs and short runs. And very rarely do you ever actually run the thing. I'm not saying very rarely should you do math. But I'm saying we've got to look at the whole way that we're doing this. And um, again, because we do that as as leaders, and I think there are new and better ways for us to do that for kids. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So you talked about having the skills for unexpected events, and I know you probably have gone through that. You had mentioned a little bit with the uh, being a part of the board of directors of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, and yeah. It seems like you might have gone through some trials during that time. So what were some leadership lessons that you learned being on the board of directors? There was a lot. It was an interesting time in my life. I, I started, I joined that board when I was five years out of competing and Classroom Champions was still pretty you know, nascent at that point. When I left that board, we experienced the Larry Nasser gymnastics scandals from, from start when it was an administrative item to actually finishing, finally finishing all the lawsuits. Um, and everything in between, you know, marching the halls of Congress and getting lectured by senators and members of Congress and to a pandemic, to state-sponsored doping. And I think ultimately, like, look, there is no perfect leader. There are a lot of times when you're going to have to make a decision based upon which one might not be the worst. There's plenty of times you're going to have to make decisions that are going to both have bad consequences. It's, you know, which, which one has the, the least, which one has the least long-term issues. Um, school leaders go through that on a pretty regular basis, especially in today's environment. I also learned that I was also capable. Uh, I learned that one of the biggest insults you can, you can give is saying that somebody's smart because you know what, if you're at a superintendent level or a, or a building level or sitting at a board of education or a board, everybody, everybody in there is smart. They're all smart. They're all within one DB of of each other, give or take. You know, the, the Bill Sure, Bill Gates and Elon Musk, those guys may be, be up 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 in another stratosphere, but it's not smarts that helps you make those decisions. It is listening to others. It is being able to ask the right questions and listen to voices that you don't agree with. And I think that was one of the biggest things that we did poorly as some of the gymnastics things were unfolding. Other things was some things around, you know, one of our CEOs. The, the kind of the folks who were leading the board at the time dismissed some voices that turns out they were right, but we didn't believe them. And I think that for me was an eye-opening experience because we we didn't have to get it wrong. We didn't have to get some of these things wrong. And it's hard to listen. It's hard to listen to voices that you don't agree with or that sound like they are coming from the cheap seats. Sure. But like sometimes it just that takes a few questions, a few more questions to those people without condescension, without anything, because understanding as a leader, you have to rise above that stuff. And you have to make it not about your ego because look, your ego is invested in success. And today's shots 
have, shouldn't have anything to do with your ego, even though it's really hard. And I say this as somebody who's been drugged through the mud, both publicly and privately throughout all these different processes is being able to separate your ego, being comfortable with you're doing the right things and walk home to your family and be okay with that. And then realize that again, your success is going to be judged in the long term, not, not today. Yeah, that's such a huge lesson right there for any aspiring or current leader. I think everyone's going to experience that at some point that are persevering through that. And being aware of it as it's happening. Yeah. Being aware of it's happening. This too shall pass should get you through most things. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, Steve, so you are working with corporate leadership and you develop leaders all the time. And I know you do this at a young age with your, you know, the students that you guys support, but then you also are working with adults. So, you know, with the leadership development component, because, you know, I really built this podcast to help those become better leaders every single day. And so I know that you have lessons that are kind of your staples. So what are some of these important aspects that you try to teach and it doesn't matter the age, but for any leader, uh, yeah. what you feel is really, really important. Oh, I love that question. I think a couple of things. So I think I think one set is around like getting your both like your industry knowledge and your you're in industry and you're out of industry knowledge. And here's the thing is almost every industry is like this. I'm in Calgary. I, I moved to Calgary to train with the national team and my coach back in 2003. And I stayed and I married um, a wonderful woman up here. And, you know, the, the energy industry is up here, which means you know, work with leaders up here. Well, you know, our, this industry is different. People are different. And I remember one of the consultants I used to work with that was a mentor of mine. And she's like, you'll hear this, but people are people. And I think the education industry, sometimes we get stuck in that too. Well, yes, but this is different. And I would say as a leader, yes, your industry is different. So learn about it, gain your industry knowledge and have a peer set in your industry. And also you're not different. So get a peer set outside of that, like outside of your industry's knowledge, gain, gain that, like listen to podcasts, read things that are outside of your realm of leadership and have friends and peers in outside of that. I mean, if you're a, if you're a leader in a school district, you're going to be able to find a mentor in, in a, in a relationship, you know, set outside there. So being able to enter into like a formal a formal mentorship situation with somebody is actually simpler than a lot of people think, but it's actually more formal than people think. Like, uh, you know, I recommend to people, who do you, you know, who do you know that could be a mentor? Oh, I have this, you know, this person who I, okay, talk to them about it specifically. Don't just say, can I get a coffee with you? Sometimes actually say, would you be willing to mentor me for the year? All right. What does that look like? That looks like once a month, we will get a coffee or once a month, we will, you know, jump on a Zoom. And therefore you remove, they will say, yeah, if they say yes, you remove the uncomfortableness of you needing to ask them to do a favor. You just did that. You're done. You're solved. You, you have, you have asked for your favor every month where you ask them for your coffee. It's not you asking them for a favor. They've already committed that. Now you're doing something for, for each other. So I think that doing that, like setting up those formal relationships is super important. And, and then the other side of it, and this is something that I like speak about more now is like understanding like the rules of getting better. And for me, the rules of better are do things you like, like as a, as a leader in your field, like do make sure you're doing some things you're leaning into things you like. The second one is do things you don't like. It doesn't mean a folksy, uh, you know, well, I don't like to wake up in the morning workout, Steve. I'm not telling you that when I, when my alarm goes off at five fifteen, I like it. 
I don't. Every time, every time my alarm goes off at 515, I don't want to do it. But I wake up and I do it. I'm a, not a distance runner. I ran my 7K this morning. I don't like it. There's no point on that run that I say to myself, I love this. What do I, I love the outcome of it. I love the way it makes me feel. I love an hour investment in my time. It gives me 15 hours of energy for the day. But do the things you like. Don't get tricked into hearing it from other people that you will learn to love it. No, you won't. And that's fine. Like, that's fine. Do Number two, do the things you don't like. Number three, own your choices. Understand that being happy is a choice. Being miserable is a choice, period. Just because somebody said something to you that pissed you off doesn't mean you need to be pissed off. It doesn't. Like, it, it doesn't. Well, they said that. Yeah. Yes, that, that millisecond or even that few minutes afterwards, there's an initial reaction that is like normal. But past that, it becomes, you're, in a, you're a fully capable adult. Past that, it becomes your choice how you feel about it. And staying mad at somebody for something they did that you feel aggrieved or slighted. And, and this is coming from somebody who, is, who, who did this for a long time, who's now found more joy in myself and my work and, and, and more positivity by realizing that is my, that's my stuff. It's not their stuff. Like they piss me off. It's done. The thing they said isn't echoing. They didn't keep saying it to me. I don't go home and complain about it. So I think do the things you like, do things you don't like, own your choices. Thank you for those three. That's wonderful advice. And, you know, typically I ask that at the end of the conversation and you've given some wonderful actionable items for our aspiring and current leaders. I do have a question though. You, because yeah. you made a great point of like, humans are so similar and it doesn't matter the field. There are so many connection points and um, yes, the education is different, but I love speaking to people outside of ed education like yourself because we can still gain leadership experiences and advice from folks in other fields that connect to what we're doing. And you are connected because you're in schools all the time and obviously you have a passion for students and their social emotional learning. Over the years, I'm just curious if yeah. if there are any changes you think leaders need to really invest in to change the lives of our kids because our our industries are changing so rapidly. Like, do you think the education system could reframe itself or are there any changes that you see need so, to be done? It's a nice and loaded question. I know. Bringing the heat, Steve. I mean, well, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I will, but I would also be interested to hear, I, I'm very interested to hear your perspective on this sure. one too. I give you things. Um, I think on the leadership side, yes. I mean, I think we, you know, Classroom Champions has, and we're doing more and more and more and realizing that there's an opportunity to help leaders in the industry, in the education industry. And as much as I hate to call it the education industry, but it, but it's, it's, it is that at the ground level, it's not at the ground level. It is us helping kids become better human beings that benefit themselves, their families, and just society as a whole. And that's what public education is about and why it's so important. I grew up as a public school kid and, you know, my kids will you know, go to public school so we have like leadership resources and a toolkit that we share at classroomchampions.org. And we also have other that is that it's free. Yeah. When it comes to what we can do as leaders to, I think, set up our people, our, our people for success. One thing we do at Classroom Champions that I think is probably really needed in education right now is make change management the norm. It's where we are. And if you can help people just wrap their heads around that they don't freak out every time something changes that change is becomes a catalyst for getting better. That's up to you as a leader. You can set that culture, just like you're I was talking about owning your choices and you, you don't need to spiral out of control if somebody aggrieves you. Just because they aggrieved you does not mean you need to be upset. So I think 
change, you know, helping change man or the change management standpoint is, is a really, really good thing. I mentioned earlier, I think when I was kind of comparing what an athlete mindset is that at the top, and I mentioned this like stress enhancing mindset and like that kind of thing, again, a top down from a leadership standpoint is how you can affect your culture and helping people understand that all the research data-driven, research-driven, Dr. Crum from Stanford looks at this and like people who look at stress as a good thing that helps them grow and get better, shockingly get better. Their performance is better. And yes, long-term stress, bad. High levels of ongoing cortisol, bad. But acute stress is actually good. That's how we get, that's how we challenge ourselves and get better. So I, I think it, a lot of it starts there because again, if you can get people around you to own their choices, own their behaviors, give them some of those, those simple tools at the beginning. So I think that's one thing that is just something you can control. The entire complex is a whole different thing. So I like to focus on what we, what, what is in within our sphere of control as leaders. And again, whether you're in, in education or out, but like in education right now, I talk to a lot of teachers. I have a lot of teachers who are friends, both have done classroom champions for over a decade and principal and folks who are now principals or guys like Todd Nesloni who have moved through the ranks and, and just kept on wanting to evolve his career and, and wanting to have more of an impact on, on more people. And, you know, ultimately I hope we have this opportunity and moment right now to help teachers and educators realize that you have to change the way you think about this stuff. Cause it's not helping your kids. It's not, you know, I don't like the term self-care. And I say that because I think it's become reductive to the point where we're just in defense mode. And we shouldn't be in defense mode. This is your job. This is your life. You, you became a teacher because you wanted to help kids. So do you think your district's going to give you a, like superintendents earmuffs? Uh, you know, do you think your, you think your district's going to give you, you know, going to reduce your class sizes? Well, no. Do you think your district's going to give you more resources? Well, no. Do you think your district's going to increase your pay? Well, no. Well, then you, you can't just stay mad about it. Like it's not good for you as a human being, let alone for your children. I mean, our researchers publish research, uh, not our researchers, people who do research on classroom champions, university level, separate from us, published a pub, you know, published research that showed to reduce it down to something simple is teacher growth mindset at the beginning of the year directly influences student growth mindset at the end of the year. If you walk into your classroom and you spend your year with a fixed mindset, that's going to seep into your kids. And you're, now you're not only making yourself miserable, you're actually hurting your own mission, you know, your own life's mission. I want us to help. That is not a classroom champions mentality. That is not a classroom champions SEL mentality. That is not an athlete mindset mentality. I want to help. There's opportunities for sports and athletes because of the popularity of it, because of the political neutrality of it, to help leaders and people bring this out of their, their teachers and... It's a real big thing for me right now where I talk to a lot of teachers and you know what, here's the thing. Most teachers I talk to are also tired of it. And like, if you, you want to do something about the fact that your district's not going to do those three things, then great. Once a month, every Thursday at four o'clock, sit down with a group of your peers, have a conversation about it, write some emails, write some letters, write some stuff to your union, put it away and go back to the stuff you can control. So that, 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 those are the things I think that the whole thing is so giant yeah. that if we worry about how we're going to change the structure within schools and the way that we learn and the way that we teach, I think we get lost in something. There should be people thinking about those things. Um, but the overwhelming majority of us, let's stay within the spheres that we can control. Yeah. It's outside of our scope. 
Yeah. So I mean, where do you think, like, what do you oh think? What are you seeing? Uh, you talk to all these people all the time. Yeah. What would you say? What, like, what are your top three things that either you're hearing and, or that you, that you believe yourself? Well, I, I, I too don't want to talk about systems because I hear the same things as far as overworked under resource, you know, a lot of those things. So I, I don't want to speak on that, but I do think as a system, we are in a construct that was created for an industry that is, is dead. I mean, because of of just the way technology has grown over the years, um, specifically even just the last five years. I continue to tell my staff when I was an assist principal that we are constructing a system to build students to be productive in a world that we don't even realize or cannot even imagine. And the technology that's going to be enhanced and the jobs that are going to be created, you don't have a name for it. <laughs> you won't be able to tell me what the job description is. However, our students are going to need the skills to be successful in that world. And so a lot of them scoffed at me and laughed, but we're already seeing that with even just with AI and whatnot. So it's not about regurgitating predetermined outcomes from the mm -hmm. past, but also learning how to problem solve and how to have future ready skills. Uh, if you look at the characteristics that are needed from a student for to be successful, even in 2025, <laughs> it's vastly different than it was five years ago. So what are we doing to make sure that they are ready for the world that we can't even imagine? I couldn't agree more. I mean, we, McKinsey did some work that looked at the 2030 workforce So McKinsey giant global consulting firm for those who aren't familiar with it. And they looked at like, what does a 2030 workforce need? And the top two skill sets were one, technology skills, like use the AI. Number two, social emotional skills, work with people. I agree with you. I mean, everything that I was tested on that I learned from K to 12, my phone can probably tell me in five seconds. And that's only because I'm a really slow typer on my phone. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. And that's like, just so that's the stuff that I, if I was a school leader, I would be so I'm, I'm being held to the fire yep. for certain testing protocols that are just, I, I look at what my, you know, kids in third grade yep. are going to need when they are 25 or, you know, or 18, wherever their goals, you know, take them. Yeah. And I just probably, I, they, you, you leaders out there probably have a really hard time correlating those two things. And, you know, and I think that's, again, I think that's where the opportunity I've seen where there's more room in schools today for currently called SEL. There's more room for that. Fantastic. Then like, yes, this stuff can and will help those test scores. We know that we, we know that, but also, man, oh man, that's what, like I talked to, I mean, I was downtown, you know, two different times this morning with different business leaders. That's what they hire for. Like the skill set, they can, yes, you have to have, you know, a college degree. Yes. Um, for those certain roles that they're hiring, but the tech, the skills and those kinds of things they can teach, but do they have these, these skill sets of, you know, teamwork and goal setting and perseverance? So, yeah, I, I agree with you on this, especially as you, you took it back to the kind of like we live in a system and a structure that was built for something wholly different. Yep. I mean, well, what do you, what are you hearing from the leaders that you talk to? How do they think about that? Like, how do they think about, how do they put those two things together that well, still there's, there's a disconnect that they see it's, it's frustrating. So it's a matter of trying to check the boxes and work within the system that they have to, but yeah. then also pushing the boundaries and doing, you know, 
like for instance, bringing in classroom champions, you know, mm-hmm. to find a resource or a partnership that can go beyond the construct that currently exists so that they can prepare their kids for the correct things. And I, I do feel like there has been a shift. I think the pandemic, as much as we want to go back to whatever the preconceived normal is, that a lot of folks have realized that that is far gone and we need to start looking at a new way to educate. And so what does that look like? And so I like I like giving power to those people. I like giving them permission to expand beyond what their own personal experiences and to try new things. And, you know, we, we unfortunately live in a system of, of rebuking failure and allowing leaders permission to try to do something and build something that may not be what we're comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, while the rebuking failure thing is such a big part, right? I mean, that's the the essence of sport is like, try, try again, try again, try again, try again. And that's the essence of most things. I mean, like a, you know, a, a superintendent is dealing with in a lot of ways, like the same thing, like a startup is moving. Like you're just dealing from with set from setback to setback to setback. We, we keep, no matter how much class champions grows, we keep, I like to keep a, a startup mentality here because it, it helps people understand change management and that change is normal. And I'm not saying whether change is a good thing or bad. People are like, change is good. And eh, not necessarily. I mean, it is change is neutral. It's it's what you do, but it's a, well, and I mean, even on the teacher side, like you have teachers who like are standing by their values and their principles in certain ways and getting struck down for those things. And like leaders need to push boundaries. And, and we understand that I mentioned earlier, like, like no one, no one gets fired for bringing in Deloitte. So like, you know, we just have a, we just had a school district you know, changing from like seven mindsets to classroom champions. Like we at classroom champions are, we're going to start telling more of those stories just to make people more comfortable with, we're not a risk. We're going to, you know, try to help you outperform and and help you outperform while also making sure that like, you don't lose your job. Like that's, you have school boards. I mean, this is, this is the reality of it, right? Like SEL, our data shows that like SEL curriculum adaptation is more top heavy than most others because of the risk that it runs for your audience. And in today's world, because like the, the curriculum's there, the athletes are there and you can just put your district name on it and it could be your life skills program or your whatever it is that you want. I don't, I don't care. It's not about us. It's about helping kids learn these skills. I believe, we believe athletes are a wonderful, inspiring walk their talk um, demonstrable place for kids to learn these things. And oh, by the way, for teachers and parents to also be engaged and, and think neat. So we give districts an op, we will, you know, come January, be giving districts an option to be able to just skin this puppy. It could, we can set up a URL for you and like, like let's get ourselves and anybody, anything else out of the way to just help you, you know, help you design something that will create language, create common, common skill sets and treat them again, treat them like skills because that's what schools are good at delivering. Once we get into values and character, I I don't disagree as a parent. I, I don't know where I want the line drawn for schools teaching my kids values in certain ways. Like my values just may be different. And that's totally, that has to be okay. Like our parents have to be able to, to be able to do that. So let's just, let's, let's get SEL to a place where we can remove the boogeyman from it. Yeah. And those things will foster the culture that you, that you're looking for. And your teachers on the ground and your principals and your, you know, the, the people who own those buildings who like, this is their, you know, you talk to a principal, right? And this is their, like this building is their life. It's their heartbeat. And they're, they're, the pendulum will swing back 
it's, you know, it's already coming back and, you know, hopefully we can do it without breaking too many more eggs, but. Well, Steve, I want folks to be able to not only connect with you, but connect with classroom champions. So how can they get more information if they want to, you know, implement your program um, into their campus or in their district? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking classroomchampions.org or shoot me an, an email s messler s m e s l e r at classroomchampions.org happy to, to talk to you or put you in touch with the right person on our team you know at classroom champs on twitter is a great place and i write every other that i have a newsletter that i write every that comes out every other tuesday that you know is for leaders not educational leaders leaders overall and you know i'd encourage you to to take a look and see and that's you can just go to rulesofbetter.com that's the easiest, the easiest um, URL to get to rulesofbetter.com to, to be able to get that. So this was, this was great. And I mean, I would love to flip the script at some point and turn around and actually like interview you on your show. Cause you've talked to so many people like yeah. that, that fascinates me. I like want to be able to talk to that many school leaders and understand how we can, how we at class of champions can like make some tweaks and tweak things for them that can, can, you know, make sure that we are helping them in a way that works for them. So, well, well, you talked about the listening piece and, and you do that. And because of that, I think you've created such a, a beautiful program and I I've seen, and I've heard, you know, so many people speak highly about classroom champions. I know it's making a huge difference in the lives of so many kids. So kudos to you for stepping up, seeing a need and building such a, a beautiful program. And I, I just appreciate not only what you're doing with classroom champions, but what you're doing for leadership development, and then also being such a wonderful guest on Aspire to Lead. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and I'm also super appreciative of what you're doing, man. So congratulations and, and keep it moving.